And so I wanted to go over this week the same with you. And so I love, I love how much we can find in a single Parsha. Uh, there's, you know, the, the more you study the word, the more you find it bounces back and forth. It's all interwoven and related. And you can find something in the Torah in the Brit Hadashah. You can find something in the Brit Hadashah in the Torah and the Half Torah. And as many different combinations. And I'm not a mathematician, but I did all those weird math things when I was in school where you said, if you have, you know, a group of three and, you know, a group of another three, you can, how many combinations do you have? And there's a lot. So that's what I love about the Parsha cycle and how it's divided up. So we can come to something new. All of my years of studying the Torah as, you know, as a practitioner of Messianic Judaism, I have always found something new because there is always something to be found. Again, the Word of God never returns void once it's sent out, whether that's being preached or taught or whether it's being read or studied in a solitary place like a room or an office. So this week, oh, and I did want to say, with the children and with memorizing Bible verses, um, I want you to encourage your children not to worry too much about you know, knowing the verse and the letter. I'm not saying don't memorize the verse and the chapter. Please do. But remember, only within the past 600 years, less than that really, has have Scripture had verses and chapters numbered. If a child can come to me and quote to me a passage from Isaiah, and I know it's from Isaiah, and it is actually from Isaiah, I don't necessarily need to know the chapter or the verse. I simply want to know that they're reading scripture and that they can quote it accurately. In Acts 2, there's a chapter. Um, Peter did not give a chapter or verse for when he quoted Isaiah or the Psalms. He simply quoted scripture. So encourage your children. Don't, don't let them become overburdened with the idea of, oh, I've got to know the chapter and the verse. Encourage them to be reading and studying scripture they will, they will learn it, and then they'll, they'll live it out and apply it. And that's what we want. That's what's important. And so this week's Parsha, Tetzaveh, uh, it's Parsha 20 out of 54. So we are on week 20 of the, uh, the Torah cycle, which is great. We're not quite halfway, but we're almost there, which is kind of weird to think about. It's, uh, you know, we are, you know, it's, it's, it's odd being in February, but saying we're, we're halfway through a cycle, a um, because it feels like we're still at the beginning of the year, but for us, we started a year back in you know, September, October, so we're, we're a little ahead of uh, the rest of the world in regards to how we keep time. So this morning, I wanted to quickly read Exodus 28, or parts of it. We'll start with 1 through 5, so if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn with me uh, to read from there. So Exodus 28, 1 through 5. The Lord said, Bring your brother Aaron near, with his sons from among B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel, so that they may minister to me as Kohanim, as priests. Aaron and his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, you were to make garments for your brother Aaron, for splendor and for beauty. You are to speak to all who are skilled, whom I have filled with the spirit of artistry, to make Aaron's garments for consecrating him, so that he may minister to me as a Kohen, a priest. These are the garments that they are to make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, there to make holy garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so that he may minister to me as a Kohen. They are to use the gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. So in verse 2, 
uh, the, you know, the Hebrew words uh, for splendor and for beauty. Uh, for beauty, we have, you know, ulet tiferet, or, um, you know, it means for beauty. It, it's something that's attractive. It looks good. And then we have uh, for glory, kavod. What I, you know, one of the reasons, uh, it's, it's the word I use to call up David to read from the scroll, kavod. It means glory. This is something that brings God glory. This is something, you know, glorious to participate in. So the word here in this passage is le chavod, for glory. And so what I like about this, you know, is it's opening up. It's saying that, you know, God's telling Moses, have Aaron build beautiful garments for the worship of God. And, you know, the whole, whole of last week's partial was about building, building this beautiful place for God. And so, you know, we quickly come to understand, if we're paying attention, that God likes beautiful things. You know, it's no wonder why we're created in His image. We also love beautiful things. Beautiful things are, you know, can be used in worship. It's why we, it's why we like beautiful music. It's why God commands us to have beautiful music. People play beautiful instruments, well-made instruments to worship God. You know, it's not saying you can't you know, tie a string to a broom handle and make a, a little plucking instrument. But, you know, the, the people who worship God and bring and make beautiful things to worship Him, they, uh, you know, it says something about how you feel about God, that I'm bringing my all and my best to worship Him. Uh, same thing with liturgy. You know, it's why the prayers are organized in the way uh, that they are. It's why the melodies are the way that they are. You know, they, they sound beautiful to the ear. And so if they sound beautiful to us, I can't imagine... And what they sound like to God to hear us lift up our voices and praise out of our love for Him. Uh, you know, and clothing is the same way. You know, it, it's why, you know, a beautiful tallit is something, you know, it's, they're, they're nice to have for worship. You don't need them, but, you know, they, they provide a reminder for us of, you know, a covering of being uh, under God's covering that we're coming before Him dressed appropriately for court worship. You know, those of you who are here for Purim, we're reading about Esther coming to the king, you know, in, in ancient times, yeah, there, there was a way of approaching the king, as we read about in Esther, you know, you're not supposed to come unless you're called, there's also, you're also supposed to come dressed, you know, appropriately, you're not supposed to come from the clothes you wear in the field, you're supposed to come in your finest garments, you know, we read this later on about uh, the, the wedding feast, you know, Yeshua talks about, you know, the people who come to the wedding feast are supposed to be dressed for the wedding feast, and those who are not are removed. And so, uh, you know, even today in our own society, we have expectations for wearing beautiful clothes. You know, you're supposed to show up to a courthouse for um, either for a hearing, for jury duty, or to, uh, you know, change out your license. You, sh you should show up well-dressed. You don't always have to be a three-piece suit, but you're supposed to show up, you know, clean press and, you know, there to do business with the governing authorities. It's a sign of respect to those who are there working, you know, for the law, you know, and we, you know, we serve a God who has a law. So when we come before him, it's why we dress. It's why we should dress nicely. It's why, you know, for years when I worked in carpentry, I had maybe four or five outfits and all of them were work clothes pretty much. I had one very nice pair of blue jeans and a very nice button-up shirt, and that was what I wore to Sabbath services. It was the nicest thing I had. Uh, now, you know, I'm not allowed to wear jeans up here, <laughs> but, you know, 
then, for that period of time, that was the best thing I had. And so I took it out of my wardrobe every Friday night and said, all right, here's my cleanest, nicest pair of clothes, and I will wear this because we're going to worship Hashem tomorrow. We're going to go read His Word and sing beautifully, and, it's beautif- and, and read His Word uh, beautifully. And it is a beautiful thing to hear the Hebrew wet, red, wed. I have wedding on my mind. I'm sorry. So in verse 4, you know, we have the, the sacral vestments, you know, clothes meant for service in the priesthood. And I was you know, thinking, you know, and I've, I'm sure you, many of you have seen this example as well, you know, do, do we have priestly garments today beyond just wearing nice clothes to Sabbath services? You know, and I'm thinking more spiritually here, but I'm sure many of you have seen the example of, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness you know, the sash of truth, shoes that bring the best Sarah to the world. We're supposed to bring good news, the good news of Messiah. We're supposed to bring peace to the world. Out of, out of everything that happens in the world, we should be the ones bringing news of peace, beginning with Yeshua and then, you know, affecting how we talk to people and about things like politics, the, the economy. It should be, there should be an air of peace when people come to you and, uh, and listen to you and talk to you. And so, you know, we have the headdress, the helmet of salvation, but, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, well, we could also call it a headdress of salvation after, you know, the priest's uh, head covering. You know, we have the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, uh, the word. And so, you know, typically we think of priests as being unarmed, but if you think about it, you know, what was one of the instructions to the Levites to do? The Levites were supposed to instruct Israel in the word of God. They were supposed to instruct Israel in the Torah. So they themselves were armed with a sword, a spiritual sword, but a sword nonetheless, something that can cast down wickedness and evil and build up. So it was more than a sword, it was also a tool, a tool of construction. And we're called to be priestly. We're called to put on these garments. You know, every day we wake up and, you know, that was how the priests would be in the tabernacle and in the temple later when it was built in Jerusalem. You know, the priests would sleep over the vault where the gate, the uh, gate keys were kept. And the first thing he did was when he woke up was, you know, he rolls back his mattress, he digs into the well to pull up these keys and go and they unlock the gate to the temple. And his, you know, his very focus from the minute he wakes up is the task at hand, which is to open the gates to the people. And that should be our goal as well, waking up every day. We should wake up and be able to open the gates to God for everyone else around us, whether they know God or not. If they do, to bless them and to encourage them. And if they don't know God, to bring them to know God, bring them into a relationship with Messiah, to know Yeshua and to know his word and to teach them. It's why the Great Commission is so much more than making converts. You know, discipleship is something, it, it takes work. You know, it's, you are uh, teaching another person. Um, and I can tell you, uh, myself, as a student, I'm a challenging student to have. I, in college, I had taken a class on philosophy. And when I realized quickly that the professor and I were not coming at things from the same viewpoint, I made it a point in my head that every essay I would write for this class, no matter what, would be in opposition to what he said. And would be the absolute opposite. I would argue completely against what he did. Now, I did well in the class. Actually, very well. I'm surprised. But, you know, people are challenging. Because people will challenge you. Especially people who are coming fresh into a relationship with God. Who maybe have been burned or spurned by ministry. People in ministry. You know, because when you're coming at them with the word of God. They're just, they have that in the back of their head. And so you, 
You have to work with them. You have to be patient with them. You know, you really have to bear the fruit of the Spirit as you're living with people and teaching them and instructing them. Being priestly and part of being priestly, living a priestly life is discipling and instructing. And so, you know, later down in verse 5, part of my questions for this week is I'm reading through and it's describing these garments and I'd asked the same question last week with a lot of the material that they had using the tabernacle, but, you know, it talks about all this gold and all this linen, this fine colored cloth. You know, this stuff would have been well made, well spun, and they've been on the run for a little while now, so I doubt anyone has had time to set up a loom and begin, you know, putting together colored fabric, much less dyeing fabric, dyeing cotton and yarn. So, you know, here's my question, and you can shout it out if you know it or think you know it. Where, where is this stuff from? Egypt. This is plunder. <laughs> this is treasure that they have taken, that the Egyptians gave to them, and that they have made off with, and they have now and can use and to, to dedicate it to, in the worship of Hashem. So I want you to remember that, Egypt, because I'm going to bring that up later. Oh, and something I forgot to bring up that I have in my notes, and I forgot to mention it, that in English, tetzaveh means you shall uh, command. And so I'm about to get into that now about why that, I think the title of this Parsha is um, just really awesome. And so uh, and we're, I'm going to read 6 through 12. In verse 6, uh, they are to make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and finely twisted linen, the work of the skillful craftsman. It is to have two shoulder pieces stitched to the two ends so that it may be joined together. The skillfully woven band which it is upon, uh, with which it is to be bound, is to be made like the design and from the same piece of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and finely twisted linen. You are to take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, which will go on one shoulder, and six of the names on the other shoulder, in the order of their birth. With the work of a gem cutter, engraving a seal, etch the two stones in the order of the names of the sons of Israel. Make them enclosed in settings of gold. Fasten the two stones upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron is to bear their names before Adonai on his two shoulders as a reminder. And so, you know, we have these two shoulder pieces with stones engraved with the sons of Israel, six on each side. And so I'm reading along this week, and I'm like, okay, so he's got stones on his, the priest would have stones on his shoulders, so there's, you know, weight, weighty on the shoulders, which is another uh, English word for the word kavod, it's weighty, it's something that's, you know, it's, it's not just glory, it's weighty, it means something. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what, what else is weighty, where else do we see weight on shoulders, you know, who else is bearing things on shoulders, you know, these are, these are tribes, these are clans, these are things that need you know, uh, they need leadership, okay? In Isaiah 9, I'm like, oh, that's right. The Messiah is said that the government will rest upon his shoulders. Now, when I was younger, I used to have, I had this weird image that would pop into my head, um, just, you know, being in grade school, learning about the government. My, you know, textbooks were always filled with pictures of things like the White House, the Supreme Court, the Capitol Hill, and so 
I, I used to have this image in my head about Yeshua would have like this board across his shoulders lifting, like holding up the government, you know, the institution of the American government, which, you know, is kind of silly, but, you know, I, I think uh, it just goes to show that, you know, as a child, what I was thinking about government being. And so, you know, I think now of government in the passage in Isaiah being less like a governing body or an institution, but governance, rulership. It's, you know, it's you, you, you support, you serve the ones who you lead, who you are appointed over to guide and direct, to, you know, be an intercessor for, an advocate for, which Yeshua is. He's our high priest, and, the, you know, the priest wore these on his shoulders. So I think just another amazing example of, again, a lot of this bouncing back and forth in between Scripture. Here's something in Isaiah that's related to and can help kind of, you know, bring out more meaning in the Torah Parsha for this week. You know, the, the word used for um, rule or dominion in uh, Isaiah, that the government will be part of shoulders, is hamisra. And hamisra means to, the rule or dominion. And its root word is sar, uh, seen resh. And sar means chieftain. It means ruler, captain, or prince. And all of these things are things we view Yeshua as being. He is our chieftain, our captain, captain of the Lord's hosts. And so, and he will rule. And that's, you know, ultimately what we look forward to is his kingdom coming and him ruling. Not just interceding as our high priest, but being like Melchizedek, being the king priest who rules and intercedes for the people and teaches them his word. And so, you know, as I'm reading more through 13 and uh, verse 21, we have uh, God tells Moses to fashion filigree settings of gold along with two chains of pure gold of braided work, and you will attach the chains to the filigree settings. And here's something else that you, you, know, you, you may have seen already, but something that I like to point out is notice God, when he's all of this artisanship, God is calling, and I taught on this last week, God specifically calls people who are trained to do the work. You know, he, he's calling people who have the ability to already cut gold and to cut into gems and to make these things, to spin, you know, curtains for the tabernacle. And then he anoints them with the ability to know what to do. You know, to, to understand what Aaron is telling them so that way they can go and make it. You know, and so I like to use I like to use this thought as an encouragement of that, you know, we can't expect God to use us if we're not going to make ourselves available to be used. You know, because I've heard often that, well, if God calls me, I'll just be available. You know, he'll just he'll call me and he'll make me what I need to be to get there. But if you have no desire now, why would you have the desire then? Why, you know, so, you know, God anoints people who, who are make themselves ready for his work. And that's why we should always be in his word. Always, you know, praying. Praying consistently. Asking God, what would you have of me to do? So that way when the time comes for you to do something, God can anoint you with the wisdom and the understanding to do it. And you can be called into whatever that is. Ministry or, you know, serving someone. Whatever God uh, calls you to do. And so, again, like I asked earlier, you know, where do all these breastplate materials come from? You know, the breastplate of decision that we see later in this Parsha. You know, they come from Egypt. 
you know, we have gold, uh, we have all the stones uh, that, you know, and what do we see, what do we see inscribed in the stones? And you can answer this. Louder. <laughs> we see the names, we, we see, you know, the sons of Israel are engraved in these stones. Each one of them represents a different tribe, you know, in, in order. And so, you know, they represent the sons of Israel. They represent Jacob's descendants, you know. So these are God's people, the, the people whom which God made a covenant with their fathers and was promised to keep this covenant all the way through, you know, their, their lives and that they may not see the result of that promise, the fulfillment of it in their lifetime, but they trust to know that it's coming. So these are God's people. Now here's the other thing. This breastplate has... The stones, which are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel, but it has gold and linen and dyed fabrics from where? Egypt. So, you know, I want you to look at it in this way, as if the priest is wearing this to represent all of Israel, and we have the stones representing the sons of Israel, you know, what, what, what could the fabric represent? I want you to look at it as the people who are not descendants of Jacob, but the Gentiles who come in and join with the community of Israel, the people who are interwoven into, you know, the very fabric of, you know, what God's kingdom will be. You know, I, I like the fact that the stones are, are raised and they're kind of pointed out, you know, because, you know, Israel is Israel. They're important. That They're, you know, at the center of God's eye, but at the same time, surrounding them is the beautiful colors and, the, and there's just the vibrancy of, you know, the nations that come in and join before God to worship God in His way, how He directs. You know, they're, they're not, um, not off making, you know, new ideas, but they're coming into God's kingdom as He prescribes it to be. You know, this whole, these whole two parshas are, um, do this in the pattern I've shown you on the mountain. Do this the way I've told you. And so I think this is representative of that. You know, sometimes, you know, we see this throughout Scripture, especially in the Brit Hadashah, Israel forgets that Gentiles have a place in God's kingdom. They forget that, you know, the nations are supposed to come into God's kingdom and be a part of the kingdom of heaven. You know, Yeshua points this out in Luke 4 for us. Uh, you know, he talks about Naaman and, uh, you know, one of the widows that Elijah, Elijah goes to you know, that there was a lot of leprosy going on in the land of that day, but God healed these people. God helped these people. And this is why they get angry with him, because, you know, he points out the fact that Gentiles can be touched by God, you know, while the rest of the Israelites sometimes may not, depending on where they're in disobedience, or if God's just simply trying to prove a point. You know, it's interesting that, you know, this fabric is holding the gold and the stones in place. And I was thinking of it this week and it was put on my mind this morning that, you know, perhaps that's part of why Gentiles are called to make Israel jealous in their obedience to God's word, they, they, to hold Israel in place, to, to be, you know, another, another part of God's design to keep his people, you know, in a state of walking in righteousness. And so I've had many interesting discussions with lots of people um, online and offline, you know, about this idea, about Gentiles being in the kingdom of God, Gentiles being in the community of Israel, like a lot of us coming into and worshiping Jew and Gentile 
together. You know, and you know, sadly, there's some people who deny Gentiles belonging in the kingdom. You know, and so you know, my question is, you know, do we deny Gentiles place in the kingdom? You know, I'm a Gentile, and I had to learn because there was a time when I thought Gentile was simply a bad thing, that this was, you know, a word meant to describe something, you know, someone out of covenant relationship with God. But that's not true. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Now, it just means nations. Israel itself is called a goy, you know, in, in the Old Testament, describing the nation of Israel. These are people who are called in to be a part of Israel, and they absolutely have a part. In places like Isaiah and Zechariah, we see that, you know, Gentiles are part of the people who go up to the house of the Lord. They come, they're, they're the ones who say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord and worship the God of Jacob at the house of the God of Jacob. And we don't see them changing. We don't see them becoming, you know, a, you know, they don't, you know, you don't become a Jew. You don't become a Benjamite. You don't become uh, any one of the other tribes. You retain an identity of being a nation. If you didn't, you would not be a fulfillment of prophecy. The Gentile peoples coming into God's kingdom are a fulfillment of prophecy. So in, if, you know, if we walk out our lives saying that, well, I'm, I'm no longer a Gentile, I'm no longer of the nations coming into, into God's kingdom, you are, in effect, denying God's prophecy by being one of those people who come to worship him. You know, we should be eager to fulfill God's word, not change it. You know, oftentimes as messianics, we can get into arguments with different people, other messianics, other, other Christians, that things like kosher still apply. We shouldn't do away with those things. Things like coming to Shabbat, observing Shabbat, resting on Shabbat, not doing business on Shabbat, you know, honoring father and mother, telling the truth, blessing your neighbor. Those things don't change. And we argue very, you know, sometimes very fervently for those things. So for the, we argue very fervently for those things. And so we shouldn't be so eager to do away with what God has said. And so you know, this is why I love this image of, you know, this color, you know, being on the, on the breastplate is because, you know, it represents color and vibrancy, very live, you know, life that has come from somewhere else where there was no life. I mean, we just left Egypt, and we left Egypt in a state, a state of disarray and death. You know, the plagues had completely overrun Egypt. Egypt's, you know, its army is destroyed. It's defenseless. It's, it's a place of misery. But out of it has come color and well-being and life. And we see that not just with the colors that are woven on this thing, but we see it with the people here. People like Kalev, Caleb, who came out of Egypt with Israel and was one of the two, one of the two people to say, let's go into the land of Canaan later on. So, you know, there, there isn't, you know, you know and, and he's called, you know, of a tribe that's not of Israel. You know, that he's met, that's how he's mentioned, how he is named, and he's a fulfillment of that prophecy of God's word saying that all nations shall come. And I think that prophecy applies not just to the future, but clearly we see in, you know, when God's speaking presently here for us in the past, that Gentiles are always coming in and adding color to God's kingdom. You know, the nations 
shall go up. It's not just going to be, uh, you know, Israel. God calls all of humanity. It's why Yeshua's resurrection, his forgiveness is extended to all of mankind. It's extended to everyone. And everyone who accepts that, who trusts in him, calls on the name of the Lord. They can be brought into the kingdom to worship him, to walk in his ways. And, you know, we see that throughout here in Exodus and Leviticus, that the same law applies to the native-born and to the stranger. You know, essentially stating that, yes, there will be people among you who are not born of you. But, um, and so that's, you know, essentially what I've been reading this week. And I just, it was pressed on my heart to bring that to y'all because I've seen this, I've seen this discussion uh, you know, bring people down. It, you know, people feel like they don't or can't belong or they have to change something about themselves or they have to find out that they're, they're you know, okay, somehow I have to find out that my blood lineage has, you know, some, a drop of Jewish blood, which is simply not true. You know, you should rejoice and be thankful that God, you know, if you are a Gentile, you know, myself included, that, you know, we should give thanks you know, it's like when we sing the Hadu, give thanks to the Lord for his good, his mercy forever endures because you are called. He has brought you into the kingdom and you are a fulfillment of prophecy. Not every day do you get to sit back and go, I am a living present witness of something God has said to be done. And so I want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you to keep walking together as the body of Messiah, that you know, if you are under Yeshua, you belong. You know, Gentiles and Jews, together, one body, one new man. We all belong to Hashem. We can all walk together in obedience, living for Him, making a colorful kingdom, a beautiful, vibrant kingdom with culture and life, beautiful dance, music. And that's, that's what it's about. We should be, I told Catherine earlier this week, because I was getting a little happy with the music in the car, and I'm pretty sure people were looking. And I was like, look, we should be the happiest people on earth. There's absolutely no reason for us not to be the most ecstatic human beings there are. Dancing wherever you go, you know, humming songs, singing songs. You know, it's, we, we should be the absolute most pleasant people to be around. So I want to encourage you, have that mindset. You are God's people. Walk before him in obedience Happy are we. <laughs> so, but that's what I have for you this week. So, Shabbat Shalom.